Welcome to a podcast on fire on Mermaid, which was a major comedy hit from 2016 from Stephen Chow. And we take a, wait for it, dip into this 2016 movie. You, you, you can make w- w- watery puns uh, all episode long. And this 2016 movie from Stephen Chow is still not starring or superstarring. The superstar, Stephen Chow, is still uh, off our screens as an actor. But there's new talent that he puts his comedy voice into, so how does that fare this time around? Let's find out uh, about all of that in a little bit of roundtable discussion of 2016's Mermaid. With me, Kennedy, the co-founder of the Podcast on Fire network, but the actual founder of Podcast on Fire and the network. Along with me is Stuart Sutherland, who is uh, continuing to produce podcasts at a blistering pace at Films and Swearing. With the cool angle being that he gets to do it in person with his friends and he does themed months and so forth. Uh, and by now he, is all, he has also turned into the unofficial Kurt Russell historian. So say hi Stu and rock us with some Kurt facts. Go. Hello, it's me, Stu, the guy that started all this. So any trivia about uh, Kurt Russell that you, uh, that you hold dear to your heart? He has a, a mighty beard. His dad owned a baseball team. He was a he, he he played sports when he was little too. So yes, aye. Ah, there's a Netflix documentary called "The Battered Bastards of Baseball," and that is about Kurt Russell's father owning a baseball team. So it's largely narrated. Well, maybe it's not narrated by Kurt Russell, but he's in a lot of the talking head portions of the documentary. And there it is. We've learned something new. So uh, this oh, podcast. One more. Of course, of course. And uh, Russell's son Wyatt Russell is also the lead actor in Overlord. Uh, Nazi zombie movie that's just come out. That no one went to see, but uh, I have sort of faith in J.J. Uh, Abrams. I, I like his stuff enough. And I heard it's a, uh, you know, a gory one. Not just a PG-13 gory one, but like a, a gory one. So It looks fucking brutal. I'll give it a whirl. So that's, that's fantastic. I've learned so much uh, already. So you are the <laughs> Kurt, Kurt Russell historian. Like, uh, Don't stop me now. <laughs> you, if you miss any of his uh, movies in real time, then you go go into hell by now because now you need to absorb every new Kurt Russell thing that comes out immediately to be ahead of the pack. Yes, it's just like souls. I'm just devouring them. Not stressful at all. Great. No. <laughs> no. Also at hand there uh, with his uh, wealth of knowledge about the uh, current mainland and uh, Hong Kong cinema as he covers it on his podcast is the always lovely Paul Fox of the East Screen West Screen podcast. So how are you this morning? Uh, and uh, you've uh, revisited the mermaid because I, I I can just imagine this was covered in a timely manner once upon a time on your podcast. Yes, indeed, and thank you for letting me sit in in the third chair. Um, I'm I'm honored that you would say I have a wealth of knowledge, but I would actually say I'm more of a pauper. If anything, um, yeah, and uh, this is a revisit for me. We did have the good fortune of seeing it uh, cinematically. It was one of the, I think, the last movies I got to see cinematically uh, before I moved back to the states. And it was a, a, a very nice to revisit it because I hadn't seen it for a while. Did you uh, watch it in three D, or you still made it a point of yours to avoid three D, uh, even in twenty sixteen? Yeah, I, I definitely uh, avoid three D whenever other options are available. So you couldn't see the tentacles in 3D. Shame on you. Shame on you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if that joke would even like, if that joke would be more annoying than funny if uh, Stephen was throwing, you know, the tentacles at us in 3D or whatever. But uh, I, I didn't even pick up on the fact that it was 3D when I watched it here at home. It was just when they mentioned it on iTunes, uh, on, on the making of on iTunes, they said, well, uh, we, we're shooting handheld 3D, which is very, oh, he did 
of course it was 3D because it's it's well why wouldn't it be but uh, it didn't scream 3D is my point uh, so uh, but uh, we'll uh, get into it uh, some very brief uh, contact uh, information and the guys are going to throw out a plug for their respective podcasts but uh, for all your podcast on fine network needs that I'm currently uh, running and uh, happily doing so after Stuart planted the seed many years ago. All of that is located <laughs> on podcastonfire.com. That was not at all like sleazy or sticky. It was <laughs> you, literally, you planted the seed of uh, creativity and things like that. Uh, because you, you've always been a producing machine and an idea man. And uh, uh, you, uh, I had the honor of being invited on to uh, the, uh, uh, the second episode in total yes. of, uh, of this madness. So uh, it's, uh, I'm always seriously grateful for that so i'm not gonna be here uh, throw out uh, dirty puns and uh, <laughs> when we're talking about a fairy tale type of movie here so get your mind out of the gutter Stuart. i'm thankful damn it <laughs> but uh, at any rate we are located on podcastonfire.com uh, podcast on fire covers uh, hong kong cinema of old hong kong slash mainland cinema uh, occasionally uh, as i try to educate myself uh, we have other shows on korean cinema japanese cinema we do bonus episodes and uh, we talk uh, actual sleazy movies when we're supposed to and that's uh, located under the banner of this week in sleaze and uh, follow us over on the social media websites uh, we have links to it in the show post or click the buttons at the top of our website to facebook twitter to our itunes feed and to stitcher radio and we can also be reached on a variety of podcatchers i'm sure so uh, subscribe to us and leave a review and be um, uh, be kind as other people have been in the past in terms of rating and reviewing. So I'll keep it short for now. Let's throw it over to Stuart uh, for a uh, profane or not profane plug. I'll, I'll give you that uh, option despite your podcast uh, seemingly being built around profanity. So what is it called and where are you, sir? It is the Films and Swearing Movie Podcast. That is filmsandswearing.com. From there, you'll find our archive of reviews and podcasts. If you want to follow us on social media, it is the handle at FAS Podcast. That handle works for Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Patreon, and any other social media platform that I've yet to get my greedy little mitts on. And other than that, coming up on the show, right now we are recording our Christmas podcasts. This year we'll be covering Die Hard and Gremlins. And maybe more importantly, come January, we will be launching a new annual season uh, known as Chanuary, where me and my co-host will be covering the films of Jackie Chan. Plenty of them. And uh, a bunch of... Um, I don't know if they're going to be released by that point, but we, for the UK market, there's a bunch of uh, late 70s Jackie Chan Blu-rays announced of uh, those movies that... Um, they vary in quality, but some of them are good that he did under the producing and directing skills of Norway. Uh, Snake and Crane, mm-hmm. Autumn Shaolin, To Kill With Intrigue, and things like that. Uh, they're coming to the UK market, but I don't know if they're coming out in time for your January or January coverage. Yes, I think all that we have planned at the moment is we will be covering a, a double review of Police Story and Police Story 2 since that got its Blu-ray UK release during the summer there. And uh, are you going back to Master with Cracked Fingers? Oh, oh, well, that might have to be a Twitter poll. <laughs> that mishmash of uh, an old movie, a new movie with a double and uh, things like that, you know. Uh, that's a chance exploitation month. Yeah, right. I, I might want to do the one where like the black mole slowly eating his face. Yeah, I've seen that movie a couple of times. Uh, Young Tiger, a.k.a. Policewoman, a.k.a. Rumble in Hong Kong, which was that's not its it. title. <laughs> 
of our chanceploitation. Gotta love it. Uh, that movie's on Netflix, by the way. Jung uh, Tiger, aka Police Woman. It's from a French widescreen print out of all movies that survived, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, was brought to Netflix. Anyway, filmsandswear.com it is. We'll leave uh, links in the show post and we'll throw over to Paul for some uh, plugging as well of East Screen or West Screen. Uh, have you ever, like, done Christmas episodes over on your site or it's logically and uh, impossible to sort of get together and do a Christmas show? It's difficult uh, just because of family stuff and in the past, uh, you know, Kevin would usually be traveling. Yeah, he goes back to the States. Yeah, so we've in the past tried to record shows early and I think we did, um, we might have done a commentary, but we usually focused our commentaries around Halloween. Uh, But normally we just decide to, you know, go on a short hiatus until the new year comes around yeah for sure uh, there's always a movie or two to um to cover even if it's kevin only doing the, co- uh, the coverage at that point uh, because that has never happened in terms of the lunar new year premieres they, they they don't get to america at the same time right unless it's a it, it very depends. big lunar new year movie it depends um like we got what did we get last year um we got the Monster Hunt Two day and date release. Okay, we yeah, also got uh, Dante Lamb's Operation. Is it Operation Red Sea? That's yeah. Oh, was uh, was that for Lunar New Year? Yeah, it was in Holy the hell. Lunar New Year period, and um, we got the Monkey King Three as day and date, and also from from mainland China, uh, Detective Chinatown Two. So last year was a very fortunate year for the Lunar New Year's mo- movies. Uh, because we did get most of them. Uh, but other movies, it's always hit or miss. Yeah, I can just imagine if it's a local Hong Kong comedy, uh, you know, if we wind back to 2011 and I love Hong Kong, I doubt Dad had a US premiere day and date. I, I, I doubt it. And most recently, at the time of we're recording, there's a Steffi Tang movie that just came out called Keyboard Warriors. It's very local uh, for Hong Kong. And yeah, there's no way. Even, even Donnie's movie, um, his last two movies, the... Um, Big Brother and the Iceman sequel. Neither of those got uh, a local release nearby. So, uh, but Big Brother did, did did get a US release. I, I do know that because uh, Wellgo were doing promos and stuff, so they brought it over, but not uh, very limited. Yeah, indeed. Okay, let's take a musical break, and then we return to uh, return to the Stephen Chow uh, filmography, and it is the, the latest at the time of recording of his directed movies, and it's called Mermaid, and it's from 2016. And we'll be right back after this uh, piece of music. Welcome back, and uh, this episode covers uh, merely one movie, but it's a sort of round table here between three people. Uh, so we'll uh, let it be simply one movie. It's called Mermaid uh, from Stephen Chow, directed by Stephen Chow, and uh, not starring him at all. It's from 2016, and plot from the Love HK film review of the film. Mermaid tells the story of Shan, played by newcomer Lin Yun, a pretty mermaid who serves as the bait in a honey trap targeting super-rich businessman Shan, uh, played by Deng Chow. 
Liu is the douchebag owner of the Green Gulf Coastal Area, which was once protected but is now earmarked for developments thanks to Liu's shady dealings, not to mention the fact that he employs deadly sonar devices to keep away protected wildlife. Now Green Gulf is eligible for the environment mucking housing developments of Liu and his uh, business partner, the smoking hot uh, character played by Kitty Shang. However, unbeknownst to Liu Shan, uh, the sonar affects the mermaids too and is uh, dooming them to a slow and painful death. And now confined to a uh, to a derelict oil tanker in Green Gulf, the mermaids plan to have the uh, young mermaid uh, Shan charm the businessman before dispatching him with prejudice. Some background notes. Uh, this is, uh, as I mentioned before, uh, Stephen Chow directed a 2016 comedy with fantasy and romance elements. And it's the second movie in a row of his that he doesn't appear in himself. Uh, I mean, the last on-screen role uh, he uh, he had uh, that he also directed himself in was CJ7. And then Journey to the West, Conquering the Demons from 2013. He was solely behind the lens. Casting Deng Chow in the lead uh, and uh, was, you know, an audience appeal thing of course uh, but uh, he, Stephen had belief in his comedic uh, abilities and uh, Deng Chao also apparently performs the, the theme song Invincible so that begs the question if you know Paul is he a singer too or he was merely tapped to uh, do the song because he sings it in the movie anyway I, I don't I don't know if he's released any albums uh, so I don't think he's a, a sort of legit dual purpose singer like an Andy Lau or uh, as also appears we'll probably mention a Chris Wu um, but yeah he does a, does a, a good job singing and I believe that uh, one of the songs he does is actually written by Stephen Chow himself and uh, but, but it, was, it was the casting of the mermaid itself or herself that was the greater focus uh, in the media landscape as a mass audition was organized where actresses could send in their CV via a particular website and there was online voting held and the casting team worked of that. I don't know how common this is, but this is apparently how it went. Uh, trimming the list down to 43, first of all, and then to 13, and then finally 6. Eventually, 18-year-old Lin Yun, who was given the English name Jelly, which is kind of a terrible English name, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll go with Lin Yun. Uh, she was cast as the mermaid, having impressed the production with her calm presence. Uh, she has also talked of Steven as a director being very patient and protective of her because she was a newcomer and the role took a physical toll on her because she was in a harness for the underwater scenes. She sustained uh, certain injuries, or at least one injury, and uh, re- that injury uh, you can actually see uh, in the making of. Uh, reportedly one injury nearly left her disfigured after falling face first and knocking heads with another actor and it's possibly the shot that you can see in the making of where she falls onto the ramp and then the special forces collide with her as they slide from the left side and the right side into her and the behind the scenes shot of that they show in slow motion <laughs> you know so nice <laughs> and there it's cracked <laughs> so it's uh, uh, apparently she wasn't you know taken out of the movie and into hospital but you know that was a physical thing that wasn't three separate elements that was brought together with cg so she Face first, and then the guys, uh, the stuntmen, into her. So, uh, Stephen making physical action, in a way, uh, still, despite being a very CG-heavy movie. Uh, Stephen also talked of inspirations uh, for the movie, uh, coming from places such as Hans Christian Andersen's The Little Mermaid, but interpreted in a modern way. Uh, but he had he admitted he had been a fan of such tales for a long time, and saw 
there was creativity and ideas uh, using that inspiration. And he also tapped into childhood memories of living by the sea and uh, his active child's mind uh, was wondering what might be lurking beneath the sea, you know, both in a curious way, but also he was wondering if uh, the sea was filled with monsters too. So he, he tapped into that. Uh, by keeping the plot secret and revealing quite a, quite little via trailers, the production seemingly built an anticipation for its Chinese release and scored an opening day record in China of nearly um, 41 million US uh, dollars. And in the end, it became a massive hit that currently ranks as the fourth highest grossing film of all time in China. Top three currently consists of uh, Wu Jing's Wolf Warrior 2, followed by Dante Lam's Operation Red Sea that we talked about. And also, as Paul mentioned, uh, in third place, we find the movie Detective Chinatown 2. And uh, Mermaid was well received. It holds a score of over 90% on Rotten Tomatoes, with the uh, main quotes uh, on the sites uh, uh, saying, uh, well, one of the quotes is, uh, The Mermaid requires a willingness to embrace the strange, but backs up its wacky flights of fancy with a big-hearted fairytale and a resonant message. And uh, finally, come awards time, it was a multi-nominee at the Hong Kong Film Awards in many categories, including uh, Best Director, Best Newcomer, but couldn't beat the likes of uh, the Johnny Toe-produced Trevisa, and the acclaimed drama Mad World uh, scored some um, awards as well. Uh, And finally, 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 the 12th Chinese-American Film Festival awarded the film the Golden Angel Award for Best Picture, though, as well as Newcomer Lin Yun in the Best Newcomer category. Thinking back on that, uh, between those movies, uh, Paula, Trevisa and uh, Mermaid, is, uh, is Trevisa more deserving of uh, awards uh, versus Mermaid and Mad World and what have you, if you were to uh, make a personal uh, personal uh, opinion of that? Well, I guess it, it really comes down to what your preference is for quote-unquote award-bait movies, I guess. <laughs> not, to use, not to use the bait term here too liberally. In terms of enjoyment, I think, for myself, I prefer... The Mermaid, um, just because of the art design, the production, the even though it's got very dark moments, um, the comedy that's infused therein, you don't see stuff like that every day. Um, and that's in part because of the creative forces behind it. Trevisa's an amazing film, and it's well-crafted and well-put-together by some very good but new uh, directors for the most part, um, but also, I think, very well-deserved for the the award recognition that it got. And Mad World, I mean, equally so. But here again, punishing and very heavy drama, and that may not necessarily appeal to everybody. So that kind, those kind of things, for awards purposes, they tend to lead the way, be it the Oscars, be it uh, Golden Horse, be it uh, Hong Kong Film Awards. So they all come down to personal preference. I lost my interest in award shows many, many years ago. And I just kind of, you know, pay attention the day after to, you know, who won. And if there's something that I hadn't seen, it might perk my interest to see it a little bit sooner. But typically, I know what I like now. And I know the kind of stuff that interests me. And I think there are a lot of fans like that, too. For sure. And I mean, it's not a be all and end all uh, for a movie, because by then, obviously, the movie had done its thing on on the marketplace and uh, and opinions are out there so it's not like it needs to be elevated necessarily um i don't know if uh, steven is popular anymore in hong kong in terms of uh, with critics and things like that so he's he if he, if he even stands a chance you know, with awards uh, jurors i've heard you say that he's burned some bridges in the hong kong industry over the years but um, still they nominated him so there's always that 
at any rate, we, we're not going to let this uh, uh, end up being a gossip fest. We're going to move on to the movie itself. And uh, Stuart, uh, if you want to share a short opinion of uh, Mermaid, first of all, before we get into some details. Uh, what did you think of uh, Stephen Chow's 2016 movie? Uh, overall, I think I have a love-hate reaction to it. I watched it a few days ago, and at the time I was quite alarmed at how, how much negative I was taking from it. But kind of getting to digest it over the, the last couple of days, I feel there is actually some brilliant wee moments to it. But equally, there is some moments that just really put me off this film. Is it the dark, dark violent tones that put, puts you off? A wee bit of that chippy choppy, then throwing it in with some ropey CGI and a little bit overacting at times where we know we're familiar with Stephen Chow's comedy style. Sometimes it's over the top and somehow it's over that top. Oh, well, no one puts their tongue out, so obviously it's subtle. Yes, so <laughs> I was surprised. I, I, I'm not sure if maybe I was just looking for, because I'd just done Kung Fu Hustle a week prior for Films and Swearings. I'm not sure if I was like, right, maybe I'm looking at that as the bar and then looking to see if the mermaid would surpass it and ended up tripping myself. But yeah, love-hate relationship would probably be the best way to describe my reaction to it. Right on. We'll uh, we'll uh, hear more from you, obviously, in the discussion. Let's move over to Paul for some brief opinion and maybe a repeat of your opinions from two years ago because uh, you haven't uh, you haven't turn, turned around from love to hate or hate to love in two years' time. I think, if anything, I like it maybe a little bit more now than I did, <clears throat> excuse me, with the first watch. I remember um, going back and reviewing some of my initial notes and comments on it that I did when I first watched it, I felt it didn't go far enough, especially in the humor category. And I thought that a lot of the darkness offset a lot of the humor. I don't know if I feel that way this time around. I think I, I see it as a, a bit more balanced and I remember some of the darkness in earlier Stephen Chow films that started to emerge. And I'm thinking of things like, you know, King of Comedy and um, even Shaolin Soccer, you know, uh, has, uh, you know, a little bit of darkness and violence thrown in there. But here it seems like he's pushed that envelope uh, even further. And it felt initially like he pulled back on some of the comedic potential. I felt, you know, especially when you're dealing with, the concept of mermaids or fish people or whatever you want to call them, Mm -hmm. that there, there were just a lot of jokes going through my head at the time that I thought he could have tapped into that. He didn't, he kind of stayed with safe, tried and true territory, you know, like people getting poisoned and, and, you know, the, the physical comedy side of things. Mm -hmm. And, and we've seen that stuff done before and it's done well here. Um, And I think that he's, He's not repeating himself, per se. I mean, he's still exploring new territory. But in terms of the humor, there's stuff that doesn't feel quite as fresh. If you are a longtime, you know, fan of his and you've seen a good body of his work. And I think this is mostly true in something like CJ7, which was, I guess, his attempt to really push, start pushing into the mainland market and getting a feel for writing for that market. And so... He's he's done that and he's kind of more fully invested in that. It still works very much, though, as as a Hong Kong comedy. And I remember watching this the first time it was dubbed in in Cantonese and it was a bit disjointed, I think, because I'm I'm one who 
I long for pure sync sound in all that I watch. And even here, we don't necessarily get that all the time with, a, with the Mandarin dub. We get it most of the time, I would say. Um, but there are moments where it shifts over to post-dubbing. Hearing the Mandarin now, it's, I, I, it's a bit more relaxing for me, I would say. But I remember Kevin saying that he felt that he could really read Stephen Chow here. Um, and I think you can see Stephen Chow using the actors kind of as an avatar, which is something that he does in a lot of his work. You can see it sometimes with the Deng Chow role, um, especially, in the, I think, in the police scene where he mm. goes and, and tries, you know, you can see him sitting at the desk and kind of Deng Chow emulating the Stephen Chow comedic style. I can almost picture him uh, doing that. But also with uh, the show low role, that there are moments where I really could see Stephen Chow in that role as well. And if you watch the the making of, you know, they say he's very hands-on in giving very specific direction and and really, you know, trying to get the actors to be precisely physical when it comes to comedy or to an expression or these kinds of things. So I think that comes across. And uh, I actually have a point about that very thing. Uh, so I'll do my uh, uh, brief opinion and then I'll lead into that. Uh, uh, to, to steal a little bit from the Love HK film review, uh, this is pure Stephen Chow, and, but it's performed by other people. Um, that's where my opinion starts. And uh, after a rough start where the comedic ribbon doesn't land, uh, it, it becomes largely hilarious for me. Uh, when the mermaids actually take center stage, that, that's when it starts to work. And uh, it's energetic, it's entertaining. And while these ambitions leads to ropey cgi I, I think it's a sort of a it's a fairy tale in a human world and therefore the visual style merges well i didn't have a problem with this because uh, it, it's fantasy uh, after all and a newcomer lin yun i think is adorable and quite defined even though she's a rough actress but i think yeah, this casting paid off but one of the things I noticed about Journey to the West, Conquering the Demons, was it had its wild creativity, of course, and the recognizable droll humor and slapstick. But sometimes it felt Stephen Chow had caused someone, indeed, to perform the same comedic beats he would do so well himself, but clearly they are comedic beats that he prefers. But this lead, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I don't have his name, I, I think it's the lead from Ocean Heaven that played Jet Li's son, but I, for the life of me I can't uh, remember his name. But that felt rough to me. That felt like it wasn't landing. He couldn't find a vessel in him. Now, now the movie didn't rely solely on this actor, but that that's why Journey to the West was an uneven experience for me. But it's different here with Mermaid. And even though it's not only Lin Yun or Jelly that's given uh, the comedy, uh, it's, it certainly works a lot better when he uses uh, other people to put his still preferred type of humor into. And I think that works uh, uh, very well here for me. What I would what I would recommend, Kenneth, is if you get around to watching uh, Journey to the West, Conquering Demons again, uh, the actor is Zhang uh, Wen, who's a fairly well-known young up-and-comer. I don't think Zhang Wen is channeling Stephen Chow in that. He's, you know, as San Zhang the monk, he's very kind of straightforward, you know, for that role. Huang Bo, on the other hand, is where I think you see Stephen Chow coming through. And he doesn't come in until very late in that. But if you watch his sections again, I think you'll see Huang Bo really kind of as the Stephen Chow avatar. But it doesn't come across near as well as I think what he does with uh, Dang Chow and Sholo in uh, this film. 
Uh, Stuart, did you spot the famous movie theme uh, that uh, Stephen Chow uses throughout Mermaid as, uh, during his uh, opening credits and throughout the movie? Did, did you recognize that when he started playing that? Ah. It was really annoying me because when they're going, ah, 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 I was like, I know that. I've, that's, that's used from something else. And I, I was like, hopefully Paul and Ken could enlighten me. My Asian cinema knowledge is depleted in my age, but... Full disclosure, I was in the same boat as... God damn it! I should. I no. I have to look it up, and it's uh, and, it, and it's uh, Fist of Fury. It's the theme from uh, the Bruce oh, Lee movie Fist right. of Fury. Okay, I was thinking of like seven different Shaw brother films, <laughs> and uh, I was thinking like, is that from a Morricone movie that Stephen has stolen from? But it's the Fist of Fury theme that I think is original. But uh, if I'm wrong, then let me know, listeners. He uses it for no other reason, I think, other than I like Bruce Lee. I'm gonna put it here. And no one can. I'm the director and producer, so screw you. I'm pu- I'm putting it in as a, as a rousing theme for the movie, so that works. Full disclosure for you, Paul. Did you recognize it like immediately? Bruce Lee, Fist of Fury, cool. Yeah, no, I couldn't place it, though I know I'd heard it. And there is at least half a dozen other musical entries, um, not all from Asian cinema, that if you go through the credits list, you'll see your you might recognize some of them. There's a Roman Tam song that is uh, used specifically within that Roman Tam fans would get excited about. There's also a reference to Adam Chang very briefly as kind of a a little gag cameo that's thrown in there as well. And I think there's even a Japanese theme song at, at, at one point. And we mentioned there's a song that uh, Deng Chao does that is actually penned by Stephen. The lyrics are penned by Stephen Chao himself. That journey of uh, it's very recognizable that Deng Chao's character is going to go from the uber selfish, all I'm in this uh, life for, all my ambitions is life is wealth, wealth, wealth. Then he meets someone who changes his heart and then he tries to uh, make amends. That is old style storytelling. But do you think, Stuart, it works to to go from such an extreme? to him actually showing humanity because for comedic purposes Stephen Chow is not depicting him as a conflicted wealthy man rather he is that that's all he wants is the money and uh, screw like context and knowledge about the project he is uh, he is pursuing with the sonars mm-hmm. and all of that because money is fun it's so great money so <laughs> you know it, does that work because it's a comedy to have those extremes, you think, and then having him have a change of heart mid-movie and by the end of the movie? Well, for this one, I felt it, it it worked for me when watching it anyway. There was that moment where, obviously, the character was like, Mr. Liu was like a really horrible person in that first half, but when he really goes on that date with Shan, it, is, it almost like he, he softens up and... There's no clearer way to see a changing character than having his moustache fall off his face. <laughs> because it wasn't real. <laughs> <laughs> like, all post-moustache, you could see he's a changed man, uh, literally and figuratively. That sequence in the amusement park I found quite enjoyable, where they they ate like a boatload of chicken, and then decide, go on, let's go on all the rides, and it's one they are on that one amusement ride where they're being spun around, and one shot, they're all happy. And the next shot, they're lying dead in the middle of the ride. And then they start barfing. I literally had a wee chuckle at that bit because I just always expect them just to start throwing up all the chicken and rice they've been chowing down on. 
I, I really do personally like those because Stephen isn't. I mean, there's an environmental message here, uh, a big one, even a ham-fisted one, if we, if we're being honest. But I, I do find the, these extremes amusing because the, the ambition isn't great to anything. Uh, this is standard storytelling that is echoing. So why not make it very obvious? Mm-hmm. To have him be so extreme, because he's while I while I'm I'm not terribly familiar with him, I I can't see that he's an emerging performer in my eyes. But I think he he's up to the task of playing such a douche, and then changing for this movie, which is a fairy tale and a wild comedy. For this movie, that is all functional, especially because it's this story. It's the story of uh, him meeting a mermaid. Those are amusing factors that I think work for me, even though it's not tugging at your your heart necessarily and you feel his changes this dramatic weight that the movie has because I'm, I don't think it's trying that so that 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 works for me very well and especially when when they they get together you know uh, Lin Yun and I, I'm, I'm sure everybody wants to talk of her intro but uh, we'll get to that because the intro is kind of terrific but for for you, Paul, if you look at Deng Xiao and that st- standard journey, is that uh, functional for you to be, to have it be that that loud and broad to then go to? I've had a change of heart and I care about the environment now. Yeah, I think so. I mean, again, this is a kind of a trope that Stephen uses, and even with Jelly Lin's character, it's a trope as well. With with the case of Deng Xiao, you know, he starts out as kind of a d bag, and then by the end he's a hero we we see that same kind of thing with the main character in in kung fu hustle right he starts out as kind of a jerk but by the end he's this he's this heroic guy that you're rooting for i think he works i was very surprised because previously i'd seen him do a lot of dramatic work i mean he's he's a character in uh, detective d in the mystery of the phantom flame and he's very serious he's in um the the movie's uh the trilogy now that the four the uh sort of uh action kind of X-Men-ish kind of series from, you know, uh, period China. You know, usually he's doing very straight, straight-laced, serious roles. So it was nice to see him let loose. And I felt he handled the comedy very, very well. And I would love to see more of that with him. Um, and he's kind of pulled back from working. Uh, the last film that I know he did was a very good movie called Duckweed that, that I think's available on, on, a, on different platforms if you look for it. But it's it's pretty much a back to the future kind of thing, uh, but set in China. And, and he's very good in that. So I would like to see him take on roles that are lighter, less serious and, and a bit more comedic because I really think he has the chops to do it. He's uh, more of a veteran versus our uh, newcomer here, of course, uh, Lin Yun or Jelly. I kind of refuse to call her Jelly. I like Lin Yun much better. It's almost like Je- we did a movie about water. What's in the water? We can't call her Mermaid Lin. So let's call Je- Je- Jellyfish. That's in water, right? Jelly it is. So it's, uh, uh, I don't really like it. Co- call her Kate or something. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but I think she has a terrific intro because Stephen Chow isn't signaling at all that she's going to pop up which she literally does, looking totally disheveled. She looks like a kid who has done makeup with crayon for the first time. She, she crashes this party, and she looks like a new kid who's come from a small town and goes into a big town kind of vibe, and she doesn't know how to conduct herself necessarily. And I love that Stephen actually doesn't signal her appearance at all. No, like, someone is coming closer, or... Uh, no POV shot. It's just she pops up like a cartoon character. Hi, 
and I think it's a good way to start it. And she uh, she won me over throughout the course of the movie, being very um, she is apt at responding to D- Stephen Chow's direction, which for us longtime fans, we can see that he's still fond of a particular type of slapstick we've seen him perform himself. And it's still in this movie. And we're not going to ruin the gag. So I think we're going to leave... I'm going to leave at least uh, them spoiler-free. But I think she responds very well with that. And uh, to have an intro like that where she looks like crap is where the silly starts going well. I had a problem with the sections leading up to the party before we get any mermaid. I thought the comedy wasn't landing very well in the whole scene with Kitty Chang where he meets Kitty Chang for the first time where we see Choi Hak as well I thought those guys and, and there's a, some millionaire with uh, uh, with a uh, rocket uh, thing on his uh, on his uh, back so he can fly and I thought that wasn't landing very well for me but as soon as it's mermaid time Steven's uh, comedy flow uh, started uh, to work for me so much more so I, I, I might drop some more notes on her but let's throw it to Stuart uh, a lot hinges on her casting and her role working. It needs to work because we need to feel sympathy for her. We need to find that she's cute and that they're a, that they're a cute couple. And she clearly has the sort of burden to be the comedic lead too. So how did you feel all of that worked uh, in the uh, hands of the 18-year-old newcomer? I, I think she did terrific. She had a great innocence around her and... It wasn't like a really famous face playing the role. Uh, I was completely unaware of this this to find a star casting choice that brought her to the screen. I think she done great. Even her comedic timing was quite well when you got your uh, first assassination attempt uh, in the office and her using all the weapons that she brought with from the sea. But it was it almost replicates that sequence from Kung Fu Hustle where they're throwing knives in the alleyway. And it just goes horribly wrong. But, but you know, that's the key word, repetition. And I'm glad to, for, for my money's worth, his repetition kind of still works. It's not like he's mm-hmm. stuck in the past. Uh, he's using, obviously, different actors. But still, I, I was thinking of that very gag where it just goes more and more wrong and violently wrong as well. In the case mm-hmm. of Kung Fu Hustle, obviously, he's uh, been stabbed multiple times and she gets physically sort of... You know, everything goes wrong in a slapstick way as the assassination attempts goes wrong. But that that sense of repetition, especially you that had Kung Fu Hustle really at the back of your in the back of your mind, did it feel like is it doing that again, or was it still? Is, what, did did it feel fresh and funny? It still came across as fresh and funny. It didn't feel like like real obvious repetition. It was just things like I'm not sure if it was just the things I was more familiar with. It's like. Possibly just because I was just enjoying myself at that point that I didn't think anything else than laughing really loudly when this girl gets scalped across the head with a golf club. <laughs> that was my favourite. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, can know, you, you almost knew that it's not over. But mm-hmm. the fact that uh, he went for a golf club right in the face. Uh, oh, my God. Uh, how about you, Paul? New new cost, uh, a new face expected to carry a lot of the uh, lot of this, uh, and not just be a pretty face for uh, for the male lead to Rome. Uh, how did you think she did uh, across those various aspects, Linion? No, she does a great job, especially as a newcomer. And you know, comedy's hard, so not I don't think you know not everybody can do comedy, be it physical or 
you know, the ability to emote on, with certain timing. So I think she does a great job. Um, she has a very, for me, she has a very young kind of Shuchi vibe to her, Shuchi vibe mm-hmm. um, in, in some spots. And, but here again, the repetition, I think, is, is recognizable, but it's not to the point to where it's, it's di- distracting from the film. I think you'll say, oh, yeah, this is very much in the vein of Stephen Chow's style, um, even with her, right? When we're first introduced to her, she's got this terrible outfit on. She's got terrible makeup. She looks terrible. And that is something that Stephen likes to do. He likes to have his actresses look terrible at the start, but by the end, they look glamorous, right? We see this with Vicky Zhao in Shaolin Soccer. You see it with Karen Mock in uh, God of Cookery. I think also the actress escapes me from $60 million Man. It's It's, again, part of that theme that he likes to work with. So um, it's not as overplayed as it is in those films here, because again, it's just her lack of fashion sense for the human world and not knowing what makeup is supposed to be used for really. But, you know, by the end, she's again, looking very much like she could be on a a runway or a slideway anywhere in the world and in the world. Right. She also, and everyone is obviously part of that visual ambition that Stephen Chow has, which Produces, you know, floaty wire shots and uh, and CG that isn't, you know, pitch perfect. But but I never really had a problem with that because it it is fantasy and uh, supernatural beings and uh, you know the flippers or, or the fins or whatever that uh, that the elder mermaid uses to uh, craft this flashback for us. You know, using water to talk about the history of uh, of them. That's obviously you know I say obviously it 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 is CG and we know it, but it, it never really felt. Uh, distracting to me and not even in the action segments towards the end of the film as he starts to lay down exposition on us but it really gets going well here when the mermaids start to dominate the movie especially when they go through their plan in terms of uh, you know you're gonna meet him you're gonna romance him we're gonna kill him off easy and here we get an emergence of uh, a third person that's asked to carry the comedic uh, burden and boy, does he do it well. I have no idea who this actor is. Show, as in, it's a show. That's his English name. Show Low, who owns, who, who plays the octopus uh, with the dreadlocks uh, and all of that. And he owns this sequence so well, his big first sequence, uh, as, as he lays down the plan in terms of how we're going to execute this guy. We're going to do that, going to do that. And then we'll shoot the poisonous arrow and uh, that'll be fine. And then someone shoots him with a poisonous arrow. <laughs> He's not immune to that. And that sort of quiet, non-reaction to something horrible, I think is wonderful because he kind of looks at it. Right. So that's what we're going to do. Okay. It's almost like the end of the uh, Kung Fu Hustle scene when he's had enough of being stabbed. <laughs> you know, he limps away like I, I got to go now. <laughs> you know, I was expected I almost expected it to be to be that and he starts to uh, really owning his uh, comedic sequences, uh, looking like a fairly young actor too and uh, obviously he's got a few signature sequences involving a lot of CG and yet this type of comedy comes through. And I, I want to be kind of vague because but, but I know this that Stephen Chow he has crafted uh, him being an octopus for a reason there's comedy in that and i'm only gonna say this this character the show low place is an idiot for even venturing out of 
the water because <laughs> there's not a chance that he's going to be able to hide. But he he tries to bullshit him out of himself out of situations, and that leads to some hysterical sequences. As he's clearly there, it's, it's a, you could see he's a human octopus, <laughs> but he's like no 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 I'm uh, you know I'm I'm this and this and oh okay. <laughs> and I know it's vague for someone who hasn't seen Mermaid, but I do want to keep it vague. I think he sort of steals the movie in his uh, in his couple of scenes there, and he's combined with CG, and I think that's mm-hmm. a feat to get comedy through, despite him being a major post production element himself. You know, normally he's just running around in blue trousers, probably you know on set, and that's that. So I really like him. Uh, and, and his spontaneous thoughts on show low as the uh, as the uh, dreadlocked octopus here, Stuart. He is probably my example of what I kind of love and hate about this film. Like some of his comedy does work really well. Like the moment where he talks to Shan as she's getting picked up for her date, I thought worked really well. Him talking with both the, the let's say security guards or bodyguards for for Mister Liu. The, the the things that come from that scene I found really, really amusing. And sort of his dialogue with them, I do kind of feel him channeling Stephen Chow at that, where he's kind of got this commentary going. He's like, what? You guys are weird. You should focus this energy on women. Lines like that. It's almost like that character, if he keeps talking, then mm-hmm. the con is not going to be found out. Right. Yes, <laughs> and but it, but it's so ludicrous because obviously he's there in the flesh. Essentially, he's mm-hmm. just standing in a, in a tiny little shrubbery. <laughs> mm-hmm. A few bushes, a few a few lines of grass are covering him. So and he still manages to sort of uh, outwit those guys. And then they obviously take it up a notch when you get to the the, the restaurant scene later, <laughs> and that's the one where I felt like it was maybe a little over the top, but. I think it's maybe more just his visual acting in that scene where he was just doing all the different reactions where I feel seeing Stephen Child do the exact same thing in, in previous films, I didn't have a problem with. But seeing him attempting this one, it just didn't sit right. I can sort of see that he's he's not he's not a replacement for Stephen. Yeah. But, I, but, but I think that sequence, because of the lengths, Stephen Chow takes it in mm-hmm. terms of the physical damage he causes to himself or his, or others due to him because he needs to endure physical damage yeah and that's again so reliant on cg but that that still won me over to there's no i really can't replace him but having had the sort of bad experiences prior with journey to the west i found that he's 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 now finding vessels yeah to direct comedy his way mm-hmm. uh, via other people so i don't know i was kind of more happy that it worked i suppose uh, rather than thinking it's a genius sequence. It's not genius, but uh, I'm really glad it was working, that I was laughing at a Stephen Chow movie again, because it's been a while, because I wasn't too fond of CJ7 either, so... Uh, but that's another story. Although, one part I did have to laugh out loud is his attempt to wear jeans later in the film. <laughs> and he's like, I can pull this look off. Look, this is fine, isn't it? Uh, it's a naughty joke. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's not a... G or a PG movie necessarily it is based on the uh, innuendo in the uh, comedic department alone. Mm-hmm. So, how about you, Paul? Were you familiar with Show Low before uh, before seeing him um, before seeing him all decked out in this movie? Yeah, I, I mean, I'd seen him a couple times. He wasn't a, a big name that registered, but I'd seen him in I think uh, Expect a Miracle, which is a Joey Young film, and 
he's got a small part in the first Journey to the West sequel, um, Conquering Demons, um, as uh, one of the characters towards the end who has this sort of big <clears throat> face-off. And I loved him here. I thought uh, he made the movie for me uh, for much of it uh, because has of... he been comedic in in tone in other other movies, or this was your first comedic sort of exposure? To it? I mean, he's a, he's a bit comedic in Conquering Demons um, with how they use him, but not to the extent he is here, where he's got just so much physical comedy going on. I mean, they hang him upside down and spin him around at one point. That did not look pleasant at all. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, he even says that, you know, uh, first time I was okay. Second time I kind of had to puke. If I've got to do, a re- you know, retakes a few more times, I think I'm going to tell Steven he's got to do it himself or something. <laughs> um, but he seemed like he was really, you know, a game actor for all the physical stuff he had to go through. And I was just impressed with the way that they integrated the mixture of CG practical effects and his own performance um, throughout because I mean we do get quite a few shots of of Jelly and her fish legs throughout the movie and her in water but his just seems so much more complex and then there are so many more gags situated with him and you know you think about mermaids and again the comedy that you could do with the idea of having mermaids and you know again it's this whole idea of beautiful young girls right with the the top halves exposed and and the bottom halves is fish and they play on this with again the cop scene with you know what if you had what what if you took it in a different way you know Mm -hmm. you made the combination different which is funny but you never really think okay well what if there was an octopus man that's because that's kind of a bit more disturbing and then especially if you get into again some of the echo criticism that they levy here with especially you know seafood and things like sushi and and shark fin soup and, and all of that is a it, it's just a major point of consumption in asia um and so they they're really going for some critical points here that i think you know you don't want to eat before you watch this movie <laughs> for sure that kind of brings up a point that maybe we can elaborate it, uh, about it and on it uh, later in, on in the review but i think newcomers and maybe veterans to hong kong cinema they're gonna notice a tone shift in the movie and i noticed it but i'm used to it because and i'm used to it when watching stephen chow movies that his characters get physically beat up and stabbed and chopped and shot i mean for for heaven's sake think back on from beijing with love that's a majorly violent movie Uh, you know bloodshed galore for comedic purposes but also he kicks ass with his meat cleaver and all of that so it's not new for Steven, but I have a feeling, though, it's going to split viewers when they think they're in a cute movie, environmental message, sure, but to not filter the environmental message. Mm. I mean, it needs to be said, of course. I don't think it's wrong what he's saying here, but I think you're going to lose some viewers because of how far you go within a seemingly cute movie that viewers signed up for. Because characters are also kind of... Uh, hugely hurt and it's for more dramatic purposes than anything else i mean when we see the effects of the sonar devices on even the young mermaids you know there's a young boy and his skin is all you know looks like burn damage or something so it's not pleasant and i don't think stephen chow blinks twice about sort of doing this stuff because 
but I think you you're gonna have a tougher time getting into a, uh, the minds of a global audience when uh, really pouring on the darkness that comes from wealth and greed and pursuit of everything surrounding it uh, and and uh, you know injecting stakes into this movie and and logically there would be but I have no problem with it but I can notice that ooh it's getting tough now but I cared enough about what was going on therefore uh, I didn't want her to get uh, hurt and I cared enough about the wacky romance relationship where I was rooting for the pair so for me it worked but I I can totally get why someone would sort of go like oh that's tough that's tough to watch um so that begs the question Stuart is that a problem that the movie is we we talked of extremes being extreme comedy but in terms of the for this movie extreme violence and darkness it sort of echoes in combination with that environmental message I mean it does become too tough of a watch because of this Unfortunately, Ken, I think you're going to have to ask that question to Paul because I've just found out my family are outside. Okay, so... So I'm going to have to make an abrupt exit. Permanently, even? I think so. Okay, I, that's fine. That's unfortunately, I decided to set up bang in the middle of the living room. No worries. Well, this is the nature of podcasting, my friend. So thank you very much, Stuart. And, uh... No problem at all. Yep, thanks. See you later, guys. That's a that's a podcasting uh, unusual podcasting for you. life intruding on you. So let's uh, let's uh, still continue this one. So do do you think uh, the darkness clashes? So if we keep it really uh, simple with uh, the wacky light and bright story that was before it, I think if you're somebody who's coming to this fresh, that yeah, it'll be a bit shocking. I mean. Almost on in in the to- the way that it shifts tonally, I'm thinking of a film like um, Running on Karma. Oh yes, if you're familiar film familiar with that one, which when I saw in the cinema, I didn't like because it was such an abrupt tonal shift. Were you were you expecting the sort of like well, it's love and a diet again, but only now he's beefed up. Yeah, you know? because that's that's how they ran trailers for it right oh, they got um to. and and so you go in and and then you watch and you get to the end and you're like what am i seeing but over the years i found that i came to love that film because it's it's daring it's taking risks and it's also very thoughtful in the way that it sections itself off for sure with the storytelling and i think if you're somebody new to stephen chow you haven't seen any of the stuff he's done um especially earlier as he takes on more of a director's you know, impetus, uh, this may come across as a bit shocking when it when it starts to make that shift because, you know, in the beginning, it's fun and it's romance and, oh, look, they're at an amusement park. He sort of drops and... it early, though, with uh, news footage of uh, animals being caught at sea. So yeah. you, you know he has something on his mind from the beginning. But uh, I didn't expect it to come out this hardcore. Again, have no problem with it, but I can totally see that you're verging on almost an R rating in America by doing this. Yeah, there's some interesting footage too, which I guess around this time or maybe a little bit before there was a film called The Cove, this documentary about this fishing harvest that happens in Japan, I think, and a lot of dolphins end up being killed as a result. And it was very controversial. And I don't know if they took footage from that, but I think they're showing um, that parts of that event here. And because when you talk about doing a film that has a sort of ecological message that's targeted at China, 
that can be a very tricky proposition. So I think because of the way they kind of use some of that footage, um, which seems to be taken internationally, I think it helped maybe soften the censorship a little bit for them to get that message through. But again, it's it's a very, you know, prescient message about, you know, land reclamation and building resorts and all this stuff that goes on in China that's very damaging to the environment. But it kind of gets a little bit pushed to the side, um, again, because of the way they structure this. But having said that, it's, you know, without going into huge uh specifics about the ending sequence it is kind of an exciting sequence as, as Stephen puts together you know a raid on the uh, ship that they're all in and he's not messing around he's bringing in you know he's as in the storyteller bringing in special forces um, live ammo literally they, they get it pretty hard you know there's violence here there's uh, presumably a few mermaids um, kick the buckets because some of them are shot multiple times and all of that. So, but it's an exciting sequence. I think uh, combining all the wire work and the CG that's required, it, it was nothing that um, felt so pasted on that it was distracting. And I mean, if he can get away with the comedic sequence that we talked about with Sholo being in the middle of a sequence that needs the post-production for it to be completed as a comedic sequence, if you can get get away with that and combine the CG elements with the physical slapstick, then then I think he's, um, you know, he confidently went into this sequence that require a lot of uh, wide shots and um, to stage this um, action sequence, really, that uh, goes for it in terms of, well, some characters might not survive this. He, he pushes that quite hard. He really doesn't explain why some characters do survive. They simply do. But that's that's sort of fine. We 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 just know after they cut to a couple of weeks later, they're fine. I I, I was still on board because I, I felt there was tension there and I cared enough. Uh, and uh, but but to have like body horror and uh, albeit CG blood squib work here, I still didn't expect it. Even though I kind of should. Well, let's flip it. I I I expect it to be to be played for comedy's sake. The violence in a Stephen Chow movie, but here it wasn't played for the sake of comedy. So uh, maybe that was why I reacted a little bit um, more to, to it uh, and winced. Uh, but I wasn't taken out of the movie. I was involved in the uh, predicament that was going on here. Yeah, I think that the great thing about that sequence, too, is that he takes it and he makes it his own by doing what he normally does with his films, is that he infuses back the sort of Chinese martial aspects to it. So what during this attack, you have you, this great sort of response as the elder matriarch, you know, starts using her tail, but it's almost like in Tai Chi style movements, right? Where she's, you know, doing these, the, these special moves to lead an, a, a response against the special forces. And it's just great. It's, it's, it's a great infusion, I think, and anybody who, you know, likes the fantasy of sort of a European-style Little Mermaid, but also likes, you know, the traditional sort of martial arts fantasy, you get this moment that's the merging of these two things, which I think Stephen Chow has proven in the past that he's very, very good at doing, be it in Kung Fu Hustle or Shaolin Soccer, or even in things like you mentioned, um, you know, From Beijing with Love. And his visual imagination, I still think, has legs. It's not tiring to see him go for 
you know, the big that we saw in Kung Fu Hustle and the big that we saw in Journey to the West and still, uh, you know, inflate his scenario with uh, computers because he has this idea. It's not like he's uh, he's gone too far and there's still imagination left in it because each scenario is sort of new. And then he has a new kind of big imagination to... Um, to put into that particular scenario. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of glad that he hasn't peaked in terms of that and hasn't forgotten to mix it with comedy, which I thought was a problem with, and maybe it was not his intention, but that, that, that was my main problem with CJ7. It didn't really click on all levels because I I think I wanted more Steven because he's in it, and the sweeter segments of that largely children's-friendly movie didn't click with me either uh, so it, it it had ideas but it didn't uh, click on all fronts uh, it led to toys so i guess that that's something <laughs> one thing i was disappointed by and then my notes are over i thought paul that they were doing the clever thing of when they dropped the trailer which is deng chow going to the police station saying he's seen a mermaid i thought that was trailer exclusive I didn't think they were going to have it in the movie. I thought they were doing the thing where we're going to shoot the thing for the trailer only. Even the emergence of the uh, the Fat Mermaid at the end of the trailer. I thought that was also for the trailer only because they're going to deceive us. And I was kind of disappointed because of the scenes that are in the movie. And I was like, oh man, I wanted that, that clever aspect to be connected to uh, the, the movie. But then again, the police station sequence is just pure Stephen Chow in the way he directs it and the pace of the beats and the delivery especially the pace of the sketch artist is just pure cartoony because he says i've seen seen a mermaid holds it up in like two seconds uh no uh human on top fish on bottom and that guy is silent all throughout until he uh, starts laughing together with his partner towards the end of the scene but um that was my only disappointment i think damn it they had a good marketing ploy there but it's a great scene to pick and then show essentially nothing else from from the movie at, at least in the trailer i saw uh when it came out maybe they did multiple ones as uh, as they normally do but uh that, that was my only disappointment uh, but um i like the sequence so there it is anything else you want to talk of cameo wise or anything uh, anything else there are plenty of cameos recognizable faces uh kitty zhang here is great as the sort of heavy we've seen her before of course in she was a new girl on the scene back in CJ7. Oh, the teacher, right? Yeah, she was in um, Stephen Fong's Jump, uh, you know, but usually as these sort of plucky, happy, you know, naive characters. And here she is kind of doing a complete 180 as the, the antagonist. And I, I think she's very good with what she's having to do here. And, of course, you get a regular sort of slew of people who've popped up in Stephen Chow movies before. Tanky Teen is here. Let's see, Wilson Chin is here. They're, you know, they're just a host of others that I think you'll, you'll recognize. Um, in some, some are in very brief moments, you know, so it's not like they're getting uh, a lot of screen time. I do agree with you. I also thought the police scene and the, the sort of mermaid museum scenes that were used in the trailers as distractions, I would say, from what we were really going to get were great in you know for what they were and i think they could have easily been pulled out and not used in the movie proper i, I think so because the, the that museum sequence which happens so early in the movie so nothing is really set up uh, 
uh, I was getting some bad vibes from that because is this clicking? Is this supposed to be clicking? I don't feel it's clicking. Yes, it's a fat mermaid. Ah, I was reacting more that way because I then got to experience when the movie did work. And then I could realize that, oh, that sequence did not feel like this sequence. So then I can determine what worked and what didn't. And that museum sequence, albeit it's, it's silly, because they say, I've got a mermaid here, and it's a dried fish with a Barbie doll stuck onto it. You know, Barbie doll head. So obviously it's a it's a sham that and a scam that they're very openly open about. They're even playing mahjong in the middle of the tour. <laughs> There's funny stuff there, but I was feeling that oh my god, has he lost his way? No, he's got performers later on that's gonna excel, and uh, this is not the scene for that. I mean, even the Choi Hak scene and uh, all the shenanigans between the rich people did not think that worked very well. I loved seeing Choi Hak. Uh, but he was more of a straight man, and uh, when he acts, he's supposed to be wild and wacky. So I don't approve, Paul. <laughs> well, he even says, it, and it's it's worth watching the sort of making of, um, because he even says, "I'm just here to have fun. I like to see what Stephen does when he's working. So I'm just here to have fun." And then he proceeds to take the camera person on a tour of the technical aspects of shooting the 3D sequences. Because he's the old hat. He's the one who was doing it first, right? So he knows, you know, all about that. So I just, I, I found it very amusing that he, he's like leading this little technical tour. Here's the 3D monitors. And here's the monitor where you're only seeing the 2D shots. So you got to go over here. And here's where they're capturing the the, the, the recognition data. And it's like, yep, yeah, you, you were the one who brought this stuff over. So, you know, uh, you are the master. And thank you for I- introducing it to us, the audience. It's, uh, it's almost like it's a milder version of the story you hear of Choi Hak interfering. In, in past movies, you hear him taking over. Here's the milder version. He just shows the audience a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's, so it's not like Steven has to jump in like, no, 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 no. What did I tell you? Yeah. If you want to in the <laughs> movie, you don't. You, you, you're merely an actor, filmmaker, off, off the set. <laughs> He's he's the happy uncle in this one. So well, well, uh, you 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 mentioned someone that I have no idea who he is, and then it turns out I should know more about uh, current popular culture. But I don't know if I should because uh, I read a little story about someone called Chris Wu, apparently a famous something something. He appears here in a straight cam, straight face cameo. So I'm thinking he must have been famous by this point. So it's like a get. It's like a cameo get for the movie, right? Yeah, I think at the time he was sort of the uh, a rising young hot singer. He he has a couple uh, a couple film credits pre this, but post this he's actually gotten some Hollywood work. He's in the latest uh, uh, what is it, the Triple X movies with uh, uh, Vin Diesel. You know, so he's in that. He's got he's so he's gotten some Hollywood work. He's in he he actually takes over the role from Wen Zhang in. Uh, the most recent journey to the West, uh, the sequel to the conquering demons, which is a demon strike back or a demon chapter. And so he takes over the role there. So it's interesting to see him sort of pick up additional work after he cameos here in the mermaid with the Stephen Chow and Sui Hark. Is is he a, is a singer or is he a rapper? I'd never, I I didn't commit that. I, I, I don't, I don't, I've not listened to his music. Um, he's, he's famous right now at the time we're recording because, Apparently, the week of Black Friday or the big holiday shopping week, right around that time, he has a new album that's come out in China, but it's on 
the iTunes charts over there, but also on the U.S. iTunes chart. And I think they were saying it got released early, on a week early on the U.S. iTunes chart. And he somehow shot up to one of the top spots. And it's like, Chris Wu? Chris who? So a lot of people don't know him. So they're saying, well, how could he have gotten the top spot? And so their speculation, was it some kind of rigged system? Or was it because fans from China were going on to U.S. iTunes to buy the album because it was there first and that, you know, boosted up sales? Um, and so, you know, it's a little bit of negative attention on his sort of mu the musical side of it, of his career. So he's, he's kind of kind of, you know, like many Hong Kong actors got these dual channels, if you will. But yeah, I don't know. I have not listened to his music. Um, I don't know what style it is, if anything. So he only listens to Jay Chow. Listen, poor <laughs> Fox. And then after that, like nothing else is needed. The bar is set with Jay Chow. Who I still don't know if he's a singer or a rapper. I still, I don't know. He's been at it for Jay so Chow. many years. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, th I think he does it all. Um, but speaking of singers, we should also make mention that uh, Miss Karen Mock is here um, for one of the songs with uh, Adam Cheng. She has a duet with him on the soundtrack. So. Oh, oh, the actual Adam Cheng. Uh, not a revisit to any old song, but they actually did duet together. Yes, yes, oh, and uh, you can see that, that it's on the soundtrack. I think you can buy that song on iTunes, and it, of course you can find it on YouTube as well. So, you know, again, that's sort of a Stephen Chow connection blast to the past um, for longtime fans. And as for Jelly, she goes on to have a small role also in the, the Journey to the West sequel as well, um, the Demon Strike Back. She's in a small role there so she but she hasn't really done much work outside of these films i think she's in a mainland china animated series of movies and according to wikipedia and again it's wikipedia there is a mermaid 2 um that she's slated for and it just says to be announced so whether that will come to pass or not um it's like someone's wish it's going to be announced. I'm going to put it there because I wish it to be so. Well, uh, I, I don't even know what Steven is uh, up to next. I mean, uh, the second Journey to the West is done and I don't know if anything else is um, is announced. So, um, But uh, I welcome it because uh, I, I've now gotten, after a slight disappointment with Journey to the West, um, I'm, now, I'm now back on the tray. If you are not averse to sort of the darker themes that you're going to be encountering, this is a fun movie to watch. It's pretty readily available as we'll go into but um you know also it's the only hong kong mermaid movie you're gonna get without going all the way back to 1994 with uh Chang and i think christy chung in uh, mermaid got married you know which is basically <laughs> a straight up splash ripoff of sorts but set in hong kong so you know, uh, yeah, uh, indulge yourself in a little bit of a dark fantasy. If you are also trying to get a little bit more on, you know, desperately seeking Stephen Chow and you've already um, consumed the two Journey to the West films, there's a film called uh, Lucky Star 2015, I believe, um, which is stars, um, so I get the names right, uh, Wong Cho Lam, who I know a lot of people don't like, but also... Uh, Wen Chao, who is the Stephen Chow imitator. Um, that's what he's famous for. He he does um, 
He did a lot of voice work when it would you know, be required for somebody to sound like Stephen Chow. He, he knows Stephen Chow's vocal timing. Uh, he doesn't really look like Stephen Chow, but here he gets a role where he's basically trying to, you know, uh, locate Stephen Chow. And he ends up uh, meeting people like uh, uh, Tinky Teen and others who are basically playing themselves uh, on, on this road to find Stephen Chow. And it was done, it was set as a Lunar New Year comedy, but it came out a little bit after the Lunar New Year. It's very low budget. It's very local, but... Uh, because of the references to Stephen Chow and because of Wen Chow's ability to kind of channel that, I found it kind of entertaining. So you can kind of track that down if you're looking to get a little bit of a side fix of Stephen Chow. But as for availability of Mermaid, it's widely available on DVD and Blu-ray in Hong Kong. Same in the UK as well as in the US in terms of physical media and surely across several digital download and streaming platforms uh, it's on us itunes for instance with extras such as the making of included in the package so that uh, makes it um, that 12 13 dollar investment uh, kind of worth it because it's um, it's uh, nice to see uh, him working on set and not not being stern as he works you know he, he is a kid because he if he wants to convey the comedy he can't be the seriously uh, serious brooding director or anything so uh, he's uh, he's involved and he uh, knows how to physically direct what he wants having been an actor before so uh, that's kind of neat to to see so no shortage of uh, additions out there heck you can even get it on vcd in hong kong probably because uh, that's a thing and it's gonna be a thing <laughs> forever and ever i guess um and at any rate thank you to Stuart, who had to bow out and uh, enjoy life as he should. We're nearing the uh, holidays at the time of recording. And thank you, Paul, for stepping in and uh, adding context and knowledge and uh, enjoyment factor within uh, discussion of uh, movies between friends. So thank you very much for that. And thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to be here, even as a third chair. Don't see it as a ranking or anything. <laughs> you know, it's merely you're in a chair, in a virtual chair. So... Uh, so, as for uh, contact information for all your Podcast on Fire network needs, go to podcastonfire.com. Relevant links in the show post uh, to our social media, iTunes feed and Stitcher Radio feed and so forth. On behalf of Stuart Sutherland, the Films and Swearing is located on filmsandswearing.com. Check out, um, because it's it might have passed now, but it's going to be there in the archive. Check out his season of Jackie Chan movies in uh, January 2019 called January. And all the other stuff he does, including um, talking of a plethora of Kurt Russell uh, movies. So there it is. And finally, Paul, a little plug for your website. Yeah, we're at East Screen West Screen or Comcast.com. And the show is East Screen West Screen. And you can uh, give us a listen when we do some shows. We talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and sometimes Hollywood on Hong Kong stuff as well. Cool. And uh, thanks again. I'm being kind of be and uh, with me was literally Stuart Sauerland so on behalf of him uh, I'll say bye for for him but also Paul Fox of the East Screen West Screen podcast was with us so take us out and say bye buddy bye bye
filmsandswearing.com.com. Oh, <laughs> profanity. Oh, no. <laughs> that wasn't even the profanity of choice I was looking to drop right there. Oh, my uh, God, Stuart. <laughs> I better actually register that domain now. <laughs> let's do, let, you know what? Let's. Uh, I'm gonna keep that as an outtake and let you redo the actual, <laughs> the actual thing. <laughs> right? I want to have an outtake. That was beautiful. So you, you go, you go again. <laughs> <laughs>